0: Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today, I want us to look at the book of Revelation, and I want us to look at a section that actually begins in chapter 4 and 5, where we have the picture of the throne room of heaven. And there on the throne is God Almighty and the Lamb who is slain, and they receive equal honor and glory. Listen to these words, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And now I want to share with you the writing of Martin lloyd Jones. In a sermon he preached on the church of the suffering and the safety of the redeemed uh, in the book, The Church and Last Things. I'm quoting from his sermon mostly with an occasional comment. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great servant of God in the 20th century. Listen to his words. We come now to the next section, chapters 4 to 7. In chapters 4 and 5, we're given the great and glorious scene in heaven and see some dim picture of the glory and the might and the majesty and the greatness and the holiness of God. Then arises the major question in the history of the world, the book with the seals and nobody strong enough to take off the seals. It is all right The angel tells John when he begins to weep because he cannot see anybody big enough and great enough to open the book. The angel says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. So John looked for this lion to appear, and what does he see? A lamb, as if it had been slain. Yes, it is the crucified Lord who is risen, who is the conqueror, who is the great king eternal, As Paul tells us in the second chapter of Philippians, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. We find the same teaching at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20. Lo, says Jesus, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. All power is given unto me. He is in control. He is the risen, glorified Lord. In other words, in chapter 5, we're told that our Lord is the Lord of history. He controls it. He is his master. And I know nothing more consoling. That is what makes this book of Revelation so wonderful. Before it begins to tell us of the things that will happen to us as Christians, it starts by reminding us that our Lord is on the throne that he is the master, that he is reigning until all of his enemies shall be made his footstool. The people to whom John wrote were told that, and they needed to be told. At one time, they were being persecuted by the Jews, and now the persecution by the Roman Empire has started. They were going through terrible things, and to think that John would simply write to tell them of something that might happen after 2,000 years had passed, how could that help them? It would almost be to mock them. No, John was writing to tell them what was already happening. But he told them, your Lord is there and he is in control of history. John then brings us in chapter 6 to the opening of the seals. And aside, this is the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the six seals. In the first seal, We see a rider with a bow on a white horse. Now I suggest to you that this rider is none other than the person who is described in a similar way in chapter 19. He is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our Lord is the rider, and that is why his horse is white. He is set as it were, he sets out as it were with the gospel, and he sends out his word. Now our Lord had already told us what to expect, He said to his disciples, Think that not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Matthew 10, 34. He would say, he said, Set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother. He prophesied that the effect of his coming was to be division. So here in Revelation, he comes with a bow on his white horse. The rider on the white horse is followed by a second horse. The horse is red, and his rider is given a great sword. What does this mean? Well, the red horse is a picture of the way in which Christian people, because they're Christians, are being persecuted, even killed. The Greek word here for sword carries the idea of slaughtering. It's a short sword, a broad sword used for a personal direct attack. It does not symbolize great general war, but persecution of the saints, even unto death. And has that not followed? Did it not happen to the Christians in the early centuries? Were they not butchered and massacred simply because they were Christians? Here in Revelation, our Lord warns that it will happen. The rider on the red horse follows the rider on the white horse. That's the order. The word goes out. Then comes the opposition. Yes, says Paul to his young follower and disciple Timothy, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Some people even think they're serving God when they put you to death, says our Lord in John 16, verse 2. Then the third horse, which comes with the opening of the third seal, it's not a picture of famine, as some interpreters would have us believe, but it's a vivid picture of suffering As the result of poverty, you see, there is wheat and there is wine and oil, yes, but only the rich can afford it. In the early church, Christians were very poor people. At the beginning, most of them were slaves. Many others lost employment because they would not say Caesar is Lord. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, says the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. No, no, Christianity began among the slaves and the poor, and when difficulties arose, they did not have the money to pay for the wine and the oil. So the picture here suggests shortage and poverty. And if you read the long history of the Christian church, you'll find that Christians have often had to suffer poverty. And the next picture after the opening of the fourth seal, is a war leading to death. This is not persecution as much as literal war, sometimes religious war, the great clashes of belief in which Christians are involved. All these scenes in Revelation 6 are an account of what happens to Christian people. They describe the suffering of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who received the word that he sent out. Then we go on to the fifth seal. We're given a picture of certain souls under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? This is very natural. Christian people who've been martyred for their faith cry out, How long is this to continue? How long will you allow those enemies to do this to your people? How inevitable this cry is. How natural it follows. And then, thank God, we go on to the sixth seal where we're given a great and dramatic picture of judgment upon the terrible powers that are opposing Christ and his people. We read about the sun becoming as black as sackcloth, often used in prophecies, a picture of judgment, and the moon becoming as blood, and the stars of heaven falling. This is a dramatic way of describing a great cataclysmic judgment, with the sky departing like a rolled-up scroll, and every mountain and island moved out of their place. Then we read... And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondsman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, What? Fall on us and hide us from who? An amazing answer. From the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Revelation six fifteen and following. Thus, with the opening of the six seals in Revelation 6, we've been given a picture of what happens to God's people throughout the whole of the Christian era, leading up to the final judgment. That is the message of the six seals. We were also given a glorious statement in chapter 7, which is still a part of the second section. Here is a wonderful assurance that through all these great and mighty and terrible things are going to happen, God knows his own. Before the seventh seal is broken, we read Revelation 7, 1 and following. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, this is the promise, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. In other words, before these last judgments come upon the world, God's people are to be kept safe. A seal is to be put on their foreheads of each Christian. How many are there? This is what we're told. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. What you say? That's Israel after all, not Christian people. But I need scarcely remind you again that this is a book of Symbols. And again, in case somebody may think that the verse 4 gives a description of literalism, read verse 9. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So the number in verse 4 is a symbolic figure, and it's really almost ridiculous to suggest that it means 144,000 Jews. You may ask, what's the meaning of this 144,000, and forty four thousand? And how is it arrived at? Well, let's look at the customary meaning given to symbolic numbers in the Bible. We start with the number three, which stands for the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Four, the four beasts, for instance, represent the whole earth, the whole of mankind. Now you multiply 3 by 4 and you get 12, which represents God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, concerned about the whole world, but they were concerned about the old world and the new. There were 12 tribes in the Old Testament and 12 apostles in the New Testament. 12 multiplied by 12 comes to 144. Now, 10 is always a number of completion in Scripture. As you work through this book, keep your eye on this figure, and you'll find that it always represents a whole, a completion. So 10 cubed, that is 1,000, represents absolute completion. So I suggest to you, therefore, that 144,000 is the culmination of all that. It means the saving work of the blessed Holy Trinity, the saints of the Old Testament and the saints of the New Testament era, all of them brought together perfect and complete. Chapter 7, in other words, is a description of all the glorified spirits in heaven, whether Jews or Gentiles. It does not matter whatever nation or kingdom or language or tribe they've come out of. They are Christ's people. They are all saved. And they're all with him and will spend their eternity in his holy presence. Ah, let's go back to Revelation chapter 5. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down on their faces before the face of the Lamb. And what did they say? They said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, because he has ransomed for God from all the peoples of the earth by his own blood. And he's made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And also the living creatures and of the elders, their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven on earth under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them said, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped, and we join in their worship and say, Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible insights.